The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. It's really nice to be here with everyone. So appreciate the, the simple healing beauty of folks coming together, even in this a little bit strange way over the you know, the live stream, but even so, just coming together, really what we're doing, you know, as best we can is we're reflecting together. And that means also including all of our spiritual ancestors. It's sort of willing to be authentic learners means we're willing to listen to the teachings of the Buddha, to our teachers, to each other in order to better see what we're not seeing. And it really, this practice, mindfulness, mindful awareness, this practice is really about, you know, it arises from a humility. Perhaps I'm not seeing everything there is to see. Perhaps there are many shadows, you know, so my mind, my heart operating as if it knows when in fact it isn't completely, fully connected, seeing what is here. And then in that not seeing, my actions, my engagement will be off, will be a cause for harm for myself and for others. And therefore, we just keep perpetuating these cycles of suffering, samsara, suffering, begetting suffering. And uh, that's sort of what I want to talk about today. Last week, for those who weren't here, I, I spoke about karma and uh, just really um, learning. It's a kind of training. However we are in any moment, we can train ourselves to sense that we're planting seeds. Like it or not, it's hard to be a human being in relationship with others, in relationship with the world, even in relationship with our own body and our own mind, it's probably impossible to be a human being without planting seeds, setting stuff in motion. So the obvious question for us human beings, this came out of last week's talk, the obvious question is, given how I'm living, how I'm thinking, how I'm relating to the moment, to each other, to myself. What kind of seeds am I planting? What am I setting in motion in terms of my own well-being and in terms of the healing and well-being of others? Am I living in a way that is a cause for suffering? Or is it possible in moments at least to live in ways that is a cause for healing and justice and freedom? I think that's a question we all have. I don't think this is sort of out of the box. I think we naturally, our heart naturally cares about this. How, how to live in a way that's skillful. And uh, at the end of the chant we did at the beginning, there's a, a really important clue in the chant. It goes, um, one should sustain this recollection, which is this, radiance of loving kindness in all directions this is said said to be the sublime abiding by not holding two fixed views 
So in this particular case, we're not turning the generous experience of kindness, that inclusive radiance of kindness, we're not turning it into a fixed view. This is how I should be, or this is how you should be, or this is how I am. It's really abiding in that generosity of the heart without holding two fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires. So the heart not dependent on what's coming and going in our world is not born again into this world. Well, that's sort of a provocative last line is not born again into this world. And uh, I think it's really useful to leave it, let it be provocative. Not born again into a world, a moment where my mind, my heart is dependent, is fixed. So that it's really looking or uh, pointing to this possibility of the heart, mind, not being entangled with conditions. So the world is sort of a word used in early Buddhism. It kind of represents the mind being entangled with sensuality, with sense experience. And it's really uh, important that we have kind of an open, not defined possibility of the mind, whatever that is even, not entangled, not dependent on sense experience. Well, what's that? Well, one thing we can do is we can get very clear of the experience of the mind that is entangled in moments with sense experience, caught up in our views, our attachments, our likes and dislikes. That we can get to know pretty clearly. um, And over time, we can be really clear without any judgment. We're not judging ourselves. We, We know that the heart is entangled, is attached, or whatever, or we see it in others as well. And we're not projecting that in terms of good and bad. We're just seeing it in terms of karma, cause and effect. When the mind is attached, when the mind is identified, when the mind has a fixed view, then this that seed sets in motion these reverberations of tightness, probably, right? That's not a judgment. That's just sensing, seeing, feeling the natural, lawful unfolding, cause and effect. Oh, attachment, identification, being tight, sets this emotion. So this week I want to dig in more specifically around views and what the Buddha has to say about fixed views, being identified with our opinions, our points of view, our perspectives. And it isn't about not having perspective, not having a view. It's about what to do with beliefs or views or ideas or concepts, even identities, right? So all of these different expressions of concept, of ideas, of language, meaning, they have their place, clearly. It's hard to imagine, like, a mind, you know, the what we tend to do is revert to like a rejection of ideas because we notice that getting identified with ideas is problematic. Then we want to go to this, uh, I don't know if it's correct to call it postmodern, but this sort of like uh, rejecting meaning. 
So it's really about like when the mind creates meaning, has an idea, has an opinion, has a perspective, how to relate to that construction of meaning in a way that's planting a wholesome seed for our own well-being and the well-being of others. And how so often when we have an idea, which in, in some ways that idea might be a useful idea, but the way the mind is grasping, identifying, and all the tightness, the self-righteousness, the condemnation that can flow out of that <clears throat> identification, well, we can directly experience what that sets in motion, whether it's helpful or not. And one of the things we see so often, both in spiritual circles, but, you know, also in political, social circles, is this, um, uh, just it almost like it appears to be easier to pretend, to imagine that we're right, than it is to acknowledge the truth of uncertainty. Something like, this is how I see it now. This perspective, this idea has some meaning for my heart right now. Gives, gives this, you know, gives me in this moment some direction in terms of my engagement. But I, even though that's true, I understand that this perspective, this idea remains uncertain. And, uh, there's a really powerful sutta. Let me see if I can put my hand on it. That's yeah, the Kanti Sutta. So it's number 95 in the Middle Link Discourses. And uh, this is from um, Andy Lensky, a wonderful Buddhist scholar and teacher that I've, I've been able to connect with over the years. Used to be the senior scholar at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies and executive director. And... But in this discourse, uh, the Buddha outlines, you know, how we gain confidence in what we're understanding. And he has something really provocative, you know, that, um, that sometimes we gain knowledge or we gain some certainty based on faith, based on what people generally approve, because of you know listening to a particular tradition that's been handed down through the generations or working something out through reasoned argument or accepting it after careful reflection but he the buddha says in this discourse that uh that with all of those ways of coming to some perspective some meaning it may actually be true what kind of conclusion our mind has come to or it may not actually be true. And we should r remain open to that possibility. He doesn't mean we shouldn't, our hearts shouldn't be touched by what other people presume is true or what we've received from a tradition or through reasoned argument or through reflecting on our own experience. Clearly, we're going to use all of those experiences and one moment after another to sort of have some meaning that allows us to engage the moment. So we are going to create a view, meaning, moment by moment. And so what their practice is really recommending 
is that as we do that in, inevitable work of having a perspective, having some meaning, having a point of view, we understand what it is. Yeah, given my reasoning, given my reflection on my own experience, given what these wise and trustworthy people have said to me, this is how I'm perceiving the moment, how I'm sensing it might be, might be, knowing that I don't actually know how it is. And you see, it really changes how the heart operates then in that moment, because I'm going to keep paying attention. I'm going to really cultivate a sensitivity because I know that I don't know with certainty. I sort of am positioning myself as a learner from that place of humility. I'm not giving myself an excuse not to act. You know, it's precisely by engaging that I'll clarify the question of what is the skillful thing to be doing right now? So we don't, we don't get out of our predicament of being a human being by saying, you know, I, I don't know with certainty what I should do, so I'm opting to not do. Well, how does that clarify? I mean, there's definitely a place for holding back, but even in holding back, we want to be in the mode of collecting data. Like, how does that feel, holding back? And what does that set in motion? Right, and this has, you know, come up very poignantly in the last, well, for forever, but maybe a little bit more obvious in the last few months around issues related to racial injustice. Because one of the tendencies is well, this is a complex issue. And uh, there's any number of ways for maybe white people, myself as a white person, so many ways to um, justify, well, let me observe, let me see, but but not kind of leaning in, always leaning out because it's complex, because I don't have certainty. Any number of sort of ways that injustice work, this is the way the status quo kind of remains static, is, you know, things don't change precisely because these social systems, economic systems, political systems are complex and we don't actually know. And it's very easy to see, like when we observe other people engaging the system one way or another, we, you know, with our critical minds can see what might be off. Oh yeah, that's just causing this reverberation or that's just, you know, and that's true, that kind of reflection. And so that can reinforce the tendency to hold back. Think about now, not just in terms of social political issues, but intimate relationships or raising children <clears throat> or engaging our work scene. And if our strategy was always to hold back, what seeds are being planted? Or if our strategy is always to assume that the first idea, you know, is true and doesn't need to be questioned. And so we identify with it, act it out as if, our first perspective, first way of creating meaning is absolutely true and just go head forward full of steam with that idea, well, what does that set in motion? So avoiding those two op opposites of holding back and this perception that <clears throat> I'd rather be certain 
<clears throat> because it allows me to engage than to acknowledge that I'm not actually certain and be afraid of non-engagement and whatever we imagine the stagnation of that non-engagement. And the middle way in this case is like avoiding those two extremes and letting this meaning and the engagement and the way we're going to show up, what we're going to say and do, letting it happen moment by moment. And so when we have some perspective, oh, it seems like this needs to be done right here. This needs to be said right here. But I'm not, I don't have certainty, right? But let me, so let me say it, let me do it, knowing that I'm not certain. But knowing that I'm not certain doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means doing it in that more humble, from that more humble place. And it really changes how we language things. And it just might be that our words have more, our words and actions have more impact precisely because the heart is remaining open willing to learn, willing to listen, even as we move forward, even even in moments, if we're moving forward with a lot of strength, a lot of loudness, you know, for shouting something, saying something to cut through, you know, whatever's moving around us. But we don't have to pretend we're certain. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. It certainly isn't easy for me. I, I can't imagine it's easy for any of us. But we actually have a lot of evidence of what happens when we don't do this. When we don't do this, we get a world that's the way the world is now. Where basically people are either operating as if their fixed ideas are true. And then that makes everybody else's ideas, different ideas, wrong. Right? So this dualistic who's right, who's wrong. Right? Or... So that's one portion of the people we're living with. And the other portion of the people have a sense of not being sure and tend to hold back. Even though they might have a lot of, they will have a lot of wisdom. But because they think they need to be sure, they their wisdom doesn't get to be part of how things get resolved. Because they're afraid of leaning in because they rightly sense that they're uncertain. And the other portion are people who, through habits and the way they were raised, are in the habit of presuming that what they think is right. And so they act in that way. And then it's that dance that makes the world the way it is right now, where most people are holding back, and a certain portion of people presume they're right and act on that. And then we have this very conflictual and unjust dance. And this is not just true politically, socially in our nation or in the wider world, but in, in our own hearts, in our own intimate relationships with our partners. Very slowly, I feel like I've been unpacking this in my relationship with my partner, Wynn. Many of you know one of the teachers at Common Ground and the co-founder of Common Ground. And just these deep habits, the way the mind constructs meaning about the relationship, like you're wrong or something like that, or that's not right. And how to 
you know, just what a liberating relief it is not to presume I'm wrong, but to understand that I don't really know. I'm uncertain. And this is so central to, in my understanding, to the whole Dharma path or practice to go from habits of certainty. Because, you know, even that maybe the majority of us, the majority of the time, we're that person who's holding back, frozen up a little bit because of the complexity, whatever the situation we're talking about, wider world, more intimately in our families. That's also a fixed view. Like, I don't know what's happening. Therefore, I can't do anything. I see that a lot. I mean, I, in a way, I have both extremes in my personality. I have a lot of that type A ambition, you know, willing to kind of do stuff, set stuff in motion. And I have a lot of wishy-washiness where I, I really get that I don't know. And I have some fear deeply embedded in my personality. And that kind of is, can be paralyzing, as many of you know. And so I tend to swing back and forth. People who know me where, well uh, see that in me. Um, and, you know, it's really good for, for us to recognize those two poles in action with the wrong idea, the sort of constructed idea of certainty, fixed idea of being paralyzed. I don't know. I can't figure this out. I can't act until I have more clarity, right? Both of those as a kind of fixed view where the mind, the thinking mind is constructing some meaning and the mind identifies with that meaning in a way that doesn't actually align with reality. Doesn't mean that that particular idea is somehow wrong. The wrong part of it, the unskillful part, is how the mind is using the idea. In a way, it wants certainty because of the self, the sort of self-drama of certainty. It, it solidifies, seemingly solidifies the sense of self, of ego. The certainty, like, oh, I can't act because I don't know, or these guys are wrong, I'm right, I'm going to impose my will, and I'm, I have rights to throw these people out of my heart because they're identified with another view that I've decided is wrong because this idea is right. So this, this uh, learning, right? And we, we want to start learning in relatively safe places that as our mind does its natural thing of constructing meaning, we want to be aware. This is a relatively subtle, you know, part of the mind constructing meaning all the time. And to how do I relate to that meaning? Oh, this is the meaning the mind is constructing right now. So as my mind is constructing some meaning, how does it, like, how does it change who I am in this moment? Like how I'm engaging the kind of intentions I'm acting out in this moment? And is that way of engagement as I feel it in the moment, does it have the flavor of being wholesome? What kind of seeds are being planted? What kind of karma is being set in motion, right? How is the future being shaped by how I'm showing up right now? And see, then the feedback is immediate because as I'm sensing what I'm setting in motion, it changes how my mind is constructing meaning 
which shapes how I'm going to respond and engage and show up. And this is the alternative between the two fixed views of uncertainty. I don't know. I can't act. I do know, and you're wrong, and I'm right, and this is, and I'm, you know, power against power, basically. How do I rally the power that I have to overcome the power that you have? Now, this middle way isn't ignoring the truth of power. It's actually, when we check it out, you'll find, I think, as I'm finding slowly, gradually in my practice, it's the skillful way to use power is in this, like from this place of humility, valuing sensitivity in the moment, trusting like the meaning the mind's creating. We, you know, we're seeing that as a relative thing, like how my mind understands what's going on in this moment. Why would I presume that my first construction of meaning is the most useful one? So we're constructing meaning all the time. And like I was saying a moment ago, it's very nimble. Like we might change course in a moment. We're not really tied to consistency because that would really come from a fixed view. But when the view is that views are always in motion, always changing, and wholesome view is a non-fixed view. It's a view that's evolving moment by moment, dependent on being open, being sensitive, instead of that habit of presuming we need a fixed stance, whether the fixed stance is I don't know or the fixed stance is I do know. It's really an open, like, I don't need a fixed stance. I can be in this more fluid space of And this is what we call our practice, this practice of being open and being sensitive and being intimate and not so um, fixed on having a solution, but being much more interested in a way of being, a way of relating, a way of being in the moment that allows for plants, the seeds that allow for a more wholesome engagement. And we just trust that what I say, what I do, the choices I make, the choices I don't make will better flow by emphasizing this humility and interest and intimacy and feeling into the moment. Okay, we'll see how this unfolds. And I know what I bring to this moment. I bring that kind of beautiful curiosity And this is really where kindness comes in because as we become a student of kindness, we really see how it doesn't have a fixed quality to it. It doesn't mean we might not, that we might initially think that kindness, because it certainly can, you know, we can construct a fixed idea of being a kind person or this is what kindness looks like. But when we really feel into that, we notice that's not kind. Kindness is this, uh, it's a generosity, it's a movement really in the heart that requires that non-fixedness. It requires being open or being connected. And there's, you know, whenever the mind is fixed on an idea, it doesn't really matter. It could be a relatively good idea like kindness as an idea or really despicable 
idea like I'm worthy and you're not worthy. But when, when, whenever the mind's fixed on I, an idea, it has separated itself from the stream, the flow of life. We're diluted. The mind is not capable of acting skillfully when it's fixed because it's not really connected with reality. It's in this abstraction of an idea the mind constructed and this ongoing activity of defending the identification. It's not even so much defending the idea. I mean, it looks like that, but it's more about defending the grip itself, (laughs) the need for being right. And again, remember that need for being right can also include when we're holding back, when we're feeling confused and uncertain, and we're basically telling ourselves, you can't engage your life. You can't, you know, just to be provocative, take control of your existence and, you know, make something out of yourself. Sort of giving ourselves reasons to be paralyzed as a fixed view and identified with the view, but more identified with the idea I have to be certain. I like, you know, there's this unconscious dependence on having certainty even if it's very toxic and cause for so much suffering here in our heart and around us. But we like that certainty. So this is a really great place to begin to experiment in our lives about how we can um, get comfortable in with the non-fixedness around ideas. And you might find you're going to have more ideas more creative <clears throat> ideas, differing differing perspectives. And so ultimately how you engage your life, what you do, what you say, you're you know, you're gonna have more power, which is what we want. And it's there's nothing for us to be afraid of in wanting more power. We just don't want that power to be used in ways that are destructive. And power is used destructively when it's not nimble and connected with what's actually moving right here and now. When power comes from a fixed idea, boy, it can be really destructive. And we see this, you know, in terms of bigger political movements, you know, it tends to swing from one, you know, suffering and hate and exploitation happening in one way, swinging and hate and exploitation, oppression happening in another way. It's not like, I mean, I'm sure, I think, I hope there's been some change over the centuries in terms of the general generalized wisdom in human culture. Seems like that might be true. We'll see as it unfolds further. But there's a lot of this doing the same thing, getting the same results maybe covering it up differently, maybe masker, masking it with some language. But a lot of the patterns of oppression, patterns of ignorance, patterns of economic exploitation just get re- replicated over and over again. And when we see that, it really should, I hope, inspire a, a kind of deeper reflection. Well, what 
what am I not seeing here? That's the key, is not to presume we know why it's not working. Doesn't mean we stop engaging or trying to change things, but it just means that the emphasis is on learning, even as we engage, even as we speak truth to power in our intimate relationships, in the wider world, do what feels we feel motivated to do. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of appropriate uh, appreciation for this capacity we have to be empathetic with other human beings and the suffering of other human beings. But that capacity we have to align and kind of sympathetically vibrate and sense how somebody is doing needs to be combined with wisdom. And the wisdom is not to get confused or lost in that empathy. There's more recent research around empathy that it's often, it can be used just as often for destructive causes as it can for helpful causes. Like where by this empathetic connection, I, because I'm in a way that I may not be aware of, I might be choosing to be empathetic with certain folks in certain situations and unconsciously choosing not to empathize with other situations. And so that can, that habit of empathizing in just particular ways with particular people can then further fixed views around race, around difference, around power, right? Like if I'm a billionaire and, uh, and some other billionaire who I know is getting caught up in government regulation, it's really messing with their billions of dollars, you know, I might really empathize about how wrong it is that there are so many cumbersome government regulations, just as an example, as opposed to empathizing with other people who might be benefiting because of those regulations. And so this is the piece of wisdom. Wisdom wisdom has a very deep suspicion of the mind limiting itself because of like certainty, fixedness. And wisdom has this strong inclination to remain open, to always presume there's stuff I'm not seeing or understanding. That's really like wisdom has this deep, resonant, never-ending desire, wholesome desire to want to understand, to want to see what I'm not seeing, because that's really goes to the heart of learning. We have to want to see what we're not seeing. Otherwise, learning stops. And uh, yeah, I just feel like that willingness to um, embrace that that's that kind of uh, grounding as a learner, like in the moment and really valuing and, and as a refuge. And next week, by the way, we'll do the refuges and precepts, which we do once a quarter. And it just takes 10 minutes. We'll recite them together as a group and I'll give uh, a talk on the, on that topic. But this is what we mean by when we take refuge in Buddha and Dhamma, we mean being awake to the way it is, being a learner, being humble, being intimate. And that's what allows for Sangha, for this wise, compassionate activity or engagement.
because it's really born from this humble stance of being a learner and really wanting to be Buddha, being intimate with Dhamma. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.